The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Please tell me that's on video. I've never been happier. I'm made for a fucking podcast. That's dangerous. Listen to me, we're out of here. Okay, welcome to UFC Unfiltered. Uh, different Matt, Matt is away today in Florida and I guess he just decided he didn't feel like coming back into the hotel room and I'm in Los Angeles. So thanks to Dean and John for, uh, for kind of jumping in today. We appreciate it. Well, I just got off the phone with Matt and he is actually in Disney right now. So he's, he called me to make sure I was still jumping on with y'all, but he's with his family. He's in Disney somewhere running around and I hung out with him over the weekend. So, you know, I got a chance to catch up with him. Oh, you were down there. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I live I live like two hours from Orlando, so I just drove up to hang out with Matt. You drove two hours to see Matt? Is that bad? Yeah, I mean, it's I crazy. Know, I know he wouldn't drive two hours to see me, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I live 40 minutes from Matt. He never hears since I've seen him once in a year. And John, thanks for... Uh, do you ever, I, I, John? Do you ever get sick of MMA? Because you, you, like you, you're doing a lot of the broadcast. Do you ever just want to talk about anything else? Well, I guess I bemoan the fact that I can't watch as much of the other promotions as I used to, honestly, right? Like my dear friend, Kenny Florian, who I do our show with, like I can't watch his work because I got 41 UFC shows a year, Jimmy, to wrap my head around. I would never drive two hours to see Matt Sarah, by the way, but it's great to be with you guys. <laughs> Pretty challenging for me with the quick turn. Just got back from Orlando, drove through the night. As Dean knows, I'm also a Floridian. So uh, just hitting the ground running, you know, wheels up again in about 48 hours for a big pay-per-view this weekend, boys. Uh, do you, I, I always like when I'm, I hate when I'm working and you have to work at the end of your trip. Like we need to go away to work. Like I'm away to work right now. And I've had like five days in LA to relax, but I have to do what I have to do tomorrow night. And it's like, I hate the work at the end of it. Wouldn't you like to work at the beginning and then just stay for a few days and do nothing? That's the only way to do it. If I was ever to bring my kids on a UFC live event, I haven't been able to do that yet for one reason or another. But yeah, if I was ever going to do that, we certainly would not leave the continental United States. Let's just start there. And uh, yeah, you're not doing anything recreationally on the front end. And for me too, it's just, gosh, I mean, Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby don't care about me. So we got, you know, 28 more athletes this weekend. So for me, I hunker down. I ate every single meal in Orlando in my hotel room. That tells you what my road life is like. So everyone. And are you working the whole time when you're doing that? Like, are you, are you in front of it? Cause I'm, I'm so bad at doing that. I'm so bad at, uh, but you guys both like Dean, you do a great job too. 
Um, but what you're doing is you're just kind of coming in and talking about what you're seeing in the fight. So for you, it's a little bit more, I'm thinking about what I'm watching right now. Um, do you do any prep work before those? No, for that, I do a little bit, but not much because I, I mean, I just, it's not really necessary because I am just reacting to what I just saw or what I'm seeing. But, um, but when I'm working a desk, I have this, obviously have to do some prep work and I got to tell you, and to John's credit, there's no one who studies more than him, who's more in the room than him, who does his work. Like he is the standard and everyone at the UFC looks up to John. So like, whenever I think about going out, I go, man, John's in the room studying. Let me go back and study. Well, that's nice, obviously, for me to hear from my dear friend, Dean Thomas. But, I, you know, I don't I don't prep for the flowers, Jimmy. Like, I truthfully say to you, like, I have to bridge the gap. I don't have the greatest memory in the world. You know, I'm not a lifelong martial artist. But what can I can control? I can control is is the work. And it's just a lot of athletes, man. You know, and even like this past week, I'm voicing the pay-per-view on Thursday during the Orlando fight week. So for me, it's kind of like... 10 days out, I really got to start diving in. But this doesn't hurt my cause, to be sure. Talking to you guys about what we're about to do, every little bit helps. And I always say if the fight card got delayed five, hour, five hours, we'd make good use of the time. But I appreciate what you say, Dean. And, uh, you know, just got to keep earning it, my man, you know. Well, what do you do, like, for you as preparation, will you watch – uh, a bunch of fights, uh, you know, if, if, especially with someone you're not familiar with, will you ask your assistant or somebody to get you their fights? Will you watch their fights? Will you just read quotes, go through their social media? Like what is the most valuable tool that you use? So for the first time in my life, I've actually thought about getting an assistant to help actually with some of the contacts in terms of the preliminary fighters when you have 30 athletes in a back-to-back -back situation. Uh, but there's a lot of different things I do. I mean, certainly film study is a big core of what I do. But even for a guy like Clay Guida last week, you know, people will say to me, guys, like, oh, you don't have to prep Clay. And it's like, well, that's garbage, right? First of all, my memory's not great, so I at least want to watch a little bit of what he's done recently. But I also want to hear sort of the, the temper to him this week. What is coming out of his mouth? He is going to be 41 here actually in three days. Where's he at right now? So even if I'm devoting 30 minutes to Clay, I still got to do that. But, you know, I'll wake up on show day. Maybe I was light on Estella Nunes. I'll find an article on UFC.com or rewatch one of her fights. You know, whatever I can do to make myself feel as confident as possible when I finally get to the arena. Yeah, John is right about that. I'll tell you what, because this game is so psychological and so mental. You kind of have you have to do some studying on guys on where they're at right now, because where they were five years ago is different from where they're at right now. And like to talk about Clay Guida, like he could be doing something totally different now than what he did even last year. So you always kind of still have to have some type of background information on what they're doing and what they're up to currently. He's 40, he's 41. Uh, Thompson's 39. Isn't uh, Dos Anjos 38? It's amazing that these guys at this age all won uh, this weekend. It's nice to see guys who are, who are a little bit older um doing well and I, what do you attribute that to the fact that these guys now are not aging out the way they used to and are still fighting like wonder boy looked incredible at age 39 um and i and i agree with bisping i thought that that uh kevin holland fucked up a little bit i'd, I'd love to get your take on that too i tell you right now i think in terms of angela hill as well yeah, 37, yeah. i think i think that when you get older like you get old overnight, right? So like once these guys get older, it's going to happen overnight and then they're never going to look the same. But up until that point, before they get older until that tipping point, 
they're using all the experience that they've had. They know so much about themselves, so they know what they need to do to train. They know they've made made so many mistakes in the past that they know how to avoid the mistakes when they go out in the fights, and they know how to take fight younger fighters like Clay Guida took a younger fighter and brought him to areas that he didn't want to be in because that guy was probably more physical than Clay. He was a little bit bigger, a little bit longer, but Clay brought him to an area he didn't want to be in and wasn't was uncomfortable in. And these were areas that Clay had been in in the past. So like. When you're older and you have that experience, you know how to drag these young guys into the deep waters that they never been in before. Yeah, and and what did you think about? Um, and I'll ask both of you this too, because Bisping was very uh, critical of, of I think of Kevin's strategy, and of, we're just going to fight standing up, which I don't quite understand. If you have top position, what did, have you ever been in that situation? What did you think of his decision in the moment? Well, I tell you what, like Kevin didn't go out necessarily to win this fight. We know this, like he's. When you talk that way, when you talk that recklessly about a fight and you're more like Kevin is like, you know, contemplating retirement and, you know, doing a lot of things in terms of his social media, it doesn't look like his head is in the place where he wants to be champ as being a champ in terms of, okay, I'm going to fight my way to be a champ because those guys think differently. Like he would want to be champ for the status of being champ for sure. But those guys think differently. They want to fight their way to the championship. And Kevin didn't fight the way he needed to to fight the way to be a champion. So when Bisping was saying he had a, you know, that's not a high level fight IQ. I don't think I don't think that's a very fair statement to say about Kevin, because I don't think he went in okay. with the intention to win. I think he went in with the intention to put on a good fight and fight a striker and just do his thing. And he was hoping he would win. What do you think, John? Did you take the same thing away or were you surprised he was doing that? Well, when I hear Dean say Kevin didn't go in there to win, you know, I sort of pivot to, well, what exactly are we doing here? And you can be sure on social media, I heard from plenty of fans who suggested, you know, is this an exhibition, right? I mean, these guys were so gravitating towards each other at the host hotel. I'm like every, anything I'd ever seen before, like wanting to be around each other during fight week. So kind of is what it is. I mean, you know, my broadcast partner, Daniel Cormier hates all of the congeniality between opponents, whether it's the pre round five hug or anything else. So I didn't necessarily love that backdrop to things, even though I understand largely mixed martial arts is rooted in respect. And these guys have a whole lot of it for each other. Um, but yes, I would like to see Kevin Holland use his entire skill set because I know inevitably over the next however many minutes here today, we're going to spin it forward for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And candidly, most of those guys in the top 15, even if you want to handpick a striker, are going to wrestle him. So what are we doing here? You know, and even for Wonderboy Thompson, like if you want to be on a championship trajectory, I love it. But every fight on that trajectory is guys who, who want to take you down. So I don't know. I, I love the fight, fight of the year, all of that. But um, I certainly agree with most of what Bisping says, even if I don't, even if I agree with Dean, that if you're trying to employ a high fight IQ, Kevin Holland can do that too. And don't get, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that Kevin didn't want to win. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying he didn't want well, to win. I'm saying that he didn't fight to win. You know, like uh, right. that wasn't right. that I wasn't agree. his priority when he was out there. Like, let me go out there and do what I need to do in order to win. But and you can't have that, especially at this level in his career. Like, you can't fight that way. And when you look at uh, him wanting, like, you know, a Wonder Boy asking for strikers, um, we're just saying if you want that kind of show, his fights with Tyron uh, were some of the best 10 rounds I've ever seen. And, you know, Tyron, I mean – could strike, but he was also, you know, I, th I think what won it for him, was it the fourth round of the first fight or was it the second fight uh, where he was finally to drag him down and strangle him and he wound up surviving the round 
Um, do you remember Dean? Was that the yeah, first? That was that was the first fight. That was the first fight. Yeah, was, I mean, he's had some amazing rounds against uh, a very a, a decorated guy on the ground. Yeah, well, he was able he was able to get his hands on Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy is always really good. I mean, but you know, credit to Duke Rufus for preparing, helping Tyron prepare for that, and just understanding Wonder Boy's style. And I think that's part of the reason why he's able to get away with a lot that he's able to get away with is people don't understand that style that Wonder Boy uses, and you got to approach it like a wrestler. And that was what Gilbert Burns did so well. As he approached the fight as a wrestler, then it was it made it easier for him to strike with him. And that's kind of the way Tyron did it is, you know, you got to approach it like a wrestler and then get yourself in position to strike with him. And uh, Tui Vasa, Tui Vasa took a very tough loss to uh, uh, Pavlik. I mean, this guy is really, really, he just, he just, he reminds me of a guy in a bar just kicking the shit out of somebody. I know he's a very highly skilled fighter, but I mean, just with the, the ferocity uh, of the way he comes forward and attacks, uh, he's a problem. He's a problem for, for everybody else in that division. My God, I mean, is he a problem ever? And I knew I, I thought this was a bad fight for, for Ty anyway. I was like, Damn, what are they doing? You know, I'm like, this is this is a horrible fight for him. But you knew it was gonna be action packed. You knew somebody was gonna get knocked out. But um I I've I mean, I'm not surprised, man. I really thought that this fight was gonna go just like that. I'm not surprised that he got beat up the way he did, but that's the way he fights though. So when we talk about IQ, like some of these guys, and for him. That's I think that's probably the highest level of his IQ is to fight that way. So like you can't fault him for that. Like he fought the best fight he probably could have fought, and it's just not good enough, you know. So like that's just the way it is for him. But um, but you'll never but you will but you can't so you can't really criticize that because he is fighting to his highest level of IQ. Well, Bruce always introduces him as a street fighter. Like that's always interesting when, when he'll give guys what they, you know, uh, you know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or, or Taekwondo, but him is just a street fighter. So I guess that's the way. And we had him on last week, and that's kind of what he indicated. You know, I just uh, my goal is to knock him out before he knocks me out. And that's just kind of how he sees it. Yeah, and I do think that Ty has a more layered game, certainly, than when he arrived. Certainly, in terms of the strength and conditioning, he has been committed to that cause. I mean, he has leg kicks. He got caught with a jab here early, and I I, I think... I think it's going to be interesting for Sergey Pavlovich and Dean can speak more to this, but how are people going to fight that man moving forward? Cause I am curious to see him get extended a little bit. And if you don't know the history came up on his UFC debut, 26 years old against Alistair Overeem. And that's his only UFC loss to date. Then missed a couple of years due to myriad issues, injuries, visa issues, other things, COVID-19, but look at him now. I mean, these are all very quick fights and, you know, he's not a wrestler, but he does have a Greco-Roman base and a little bit of a background there. Um, DC might be here rolling his eyes a little bit, but I'm just excited to see if somebody tries to meet him with a little bit of patience, how that's going to go for them, because Pavlovich is going to come right at you. And uh, how old is he, John? He's uh, I think he's coming up on 30 now. So but it was 26 when he made his debut. So they haven't switched him into Ivasa four or five. So I, it looks like he's going to be number four after this. And then there's only a few guys in front of him. Um, I mean, I, you wonder how how Francis would handle a guy like that, or how uh, Cyril Gaon may have a shot at staying away from him. He seems to be really good at that, but uh, everybody else would pretty much have to walk right through him. Or, or I, I don't see anybody else being able to stay away the way that uh, Gaon can. Curtis we'll Blades see. have something to say about that. Maybe yeah, take- that's true. Yeah, yeah. Curtis, Curtis, yeah, y'all forgot about Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades, man, that guy. 
Well, no, no, I'm only thinking of guys who are staying away. Blades will will try to take him out. But I'm I'm thinking of guys who can, like John said, kind of avoid him a little bit. I think Cyril is the only one who can kind of avoid him uh, coming straight at them. Yeah, for sure. Like, because he has the footwork to be able to do that. Right. Most of the heavyweights don't really have that great of footwork. Tom Aspinall, too, but we'll see how he recovers after the knee injury. But most of the heavyweights don't have the footwork to be able to deal with a guy like that. Yeah, Curtis blades against him would be interesting. I'm sure Curtis would get his hands on him. Uh, I mean, you can't you can't strike if somebody's putting you on the ground. Well, and I think sometimes promotionally, in terms of the direction they go, you have Sergey Pavlovich right now, and I actually do believe in terms of total meritocracy, the Curtis Blades fight makes sense. But I'm not sure they're going to give him the best takedown artist in UFC heavyweight history right now. And I think it dovetails a little bit with what we were saying about Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who, by the way, looked terrific at any age, right? Fast as hell, whole showcase of kicks. Like, I'm not trying to take anything away from Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I just think in, from a matchmaking standpoint, um, it's going to be a very specific direction in which they go if they're looking for shows like we had Saturday night versus him demanding to be on a championship trajectory, right? Like Dominic Cruz wakes up every day and is like, if I can't fight for the belt, I'm going to retire, you know? And that, you know, I think people just have different aspirations. And uh, we should promote uh, 282 coming up. Um, Bryce Mitchell uh, is fighting on that card. Now, Dean, you were talking about Bryce before he came out. I always hate talking before the show. I don't know if you want to say it on the air. Are you? Oh, you what you're doing on the air? I didn't want to blow it if you're not allowed to say it. No, I mean I don't know if I'm allowed to say it or not. But like you know, it's this week, so like what they're gonna do? They're gonna shoot. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. So I got I got I got a spoof on there, and I and I play a Bryce Mitchell character. So like that's that's what i'll that's what i will say on that is that i i finally dig into the bryce mitchell character on my impersonations now when you do these impersonations because i perform but i there's nothing scarier to me than watching myself on video in front of other people like i because i can't control it at that point and it's like if it starts bombing i'm like i just uh, are you comfortable being in an audience and watching yourself on a giant screen like that absolutely not (laughs) <laughs> I got to tell you, man, I do not watch, but I don't go back and watch. I rarely go back and watch anything for that reason. I, I don't care if it's with people around or by myself. Like, I'm just like, all right, on to the next one. Let's try to do better next time. And that's just the way I think. But I hate listening to myself. I hate going back and watching stuff that I did. I absolutely hate it. I have to sometimes. But if it's up to me, I would never watch anything that I did. How about fights? Could you watch fights back? Like if you needed to, to see what went wrong or what you did right? Was that just as difficult for you? Just just as difficult because like, I'm like, oh my God, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> so yeah, it was just as difficult. It's so interesting to me to hear broadcasters say they don't watch themselves back. So how are you supposed to get better, right? It's like in fighting, when fighters say to me, oh, I don't watch any film. Well, they got coaches who are, you're goddamn right watching that film. You know, I get into this with Kemflow all the time. We're doing our 375th podcast this weekend. He hasn't listened to one of them back. I'm not saying he's gotten worse. He actually has miraculously gotten better, but at least for me, Jimmy. <laughs> I got to watch it back, even though it's painful. Like I have an identical twin. I hate the sound of my own voice at this point in time. But the only way for me to to hone my craft when it comes like my pay-per-view open is to watch that garbage back. Do you really? So, I mean, if I do watch it back, then I'm being very critical of myself. But I, I always ask for feedback. Like I go, I go to Zach and them and go, man, what do you, you know, what do you want more of? What do you want less of? Give me some feedback because I don't, I'm not. I'm not opposed to criticism. Like I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of critics and I take feedback very well. 
And I like it, in fact, like because I don't want to go back and do it myself. I'd rather somebody else tell me and then I can go in and work on it. Yeah, but I uh, I, I, I kind of uh, John's right. It, it is the best way to improve. But I just which is why I haven't, because I just won't do it. <laughs> it's just difficult to uh, to make yourself do it. Part of it is to the work ethic, too. Like I have a good work ethic. But when it comes to that type of stuff, sitting in the hotel room, just watching myself, I can only see the negative. But that's why, uh, John, you're such a great announcer. And, and I love that. Uh, DC, because I don't mind. I, I don't mind when guys respect each other in the cage and high five before, but I don't like too much friendliness during it either. Um, and I don't know why I don't, because they still are fighting for real. But he doesn't like the before the fifth round hug. Well, for me, I've always said that you're losing twelve seconds. So if you are down in the fight and you're instigating, yeah. or it, you, you're the one who's initiating that hug, it's like bro, what are you doing? You know? So yeah, I just think D DC was never sort of cut from that cloth as a competitor. It wasn't necessarily that he needed to have animosity. I mean, he and the late great Anthony Rumble Johnson obviously were close and, and there was no friction there, right. but DC wasn't seeking him out during fight week. I just felt like it was a weird dynamic. And to me, it's like, I, I don't want to make Stephen Wonderboy Thompson at the height of comfortability before I have to go in there and have a kickboxing match with the guy. You know, why do I want him to be super comfortable? Right. So let me so let me even make this worse for you guys. Their rooms were right across the hall from each other. Like they like, you know, by request, request, probably. Yeah, probably by request. Like normally you, you know, you don't want to run into your guy. You want to try to keep everything separate. Some guys will fight each other after that close, but their rooms were directly across the hall from each other where they were staying. So, like, and I told Kevin is I went on his podcast, I said, listen. Don't get too cordial with him because that's Did his, really? like, yeah, I said, man, I said, he likes to, I said, Wonder Boy likes to do that, man. He likes to, you know, make friends with guys and then turn it into a sparring session. One that you don't realize that you're losing because you don't realize how bad you're getting picked apart because it may not be hurting that much. And then before you know it, you're so far down on the card and you're like, wait a minute, I'm in a fight. I mean, if you look at, you look back at all Wonder Boy's fights, he's high five and, you know, Jeff. Jeff Neal and all these guys, and they're just like they're just eating it up, man. Just eat, and they don't realize that they get beat up because it's such a nice guy in front of them. And he's smart about that. Like Wonder Boy is super smart about that. You almost and I and I and I will give it a little information away. I remember Tyron. I, I think Tyron created a little beef with Wonder Boy. Like he hated him just so he would not fall into that trap. He was like the, for the second fight, he was like he's fake he's this and that and i knew wonder boy wasn't fake like we, we all knew it wasn't fake right but iron had to tell himself that wonder boy was fake so he didn't fall into that trap and get sucked into this nice guy role because he is a nice guy and he is very likable and then but you forget that he's gonna he's gonna try to he's gonna kick you in the face uh i mean the, the fact that kevin holland took some of those head kicks even though he was hitting the glove I mean, nothing but respect for his ability. Like, no fighter wants to be known as a guy like Roy Nelson, I think, got a little annoyed at me when I was complimenting his ability to take a punch. But I didn't mean it as, like, you're easy to hit. I just meant that he has a head of granite. Um, and, and he was like, well, I'm not always getting hit flush. You know, I think he thought that I was criticizing him, which I wasn't. Uh, but his ability to take those kicks was staggering. I never realized he had was so difficult to, to knock down. Yeah, Dean, I don't know what you have for us on that. I, too, just marveled at Kevin Holland's ability to take those shots. I understand he did raise his guard on a lot of them, 
But, you know, I used to think, man, Anderson Silva is made of Teflon, right? Whether it was ground strikes from Chael Sonnen that just refused to break his skin open. And I'm sitting here watching Kevin Holland and thinking, like, what's it going to take to give this man a black eye or even make him wobble? You know, a Wonder Boy seemed pinpoint to me from five feet away. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that has to do with, like, Kevin Holland is, is taller. So I think that he might have just been out of that reach of that home run spot where it didn't catch him like real flush because of how tall he is. And, and he might've seen it coming a little bit and may have been able to roll with it just a little bit, but he was just out of range. I mean, people don't realize that like we see a guy get hit and he goes out. Sometimes it's just because it hit the spot, right? Like it's like hitting a home run and right. there's a big difference between hitting a home run and then a foul ball. And that's what a lot of punches are foul balls. And I think when, in Kevin's case, he was getting hit with a lot of doubles, right? a lot of doubles and triples yeah, yeah, and not really that sweet spot. So he was able to take them because we know how devastating of a kicker wonder boy is. And I think that Kevin was just really good about rolling just enough or just being slightly out of range to not take it at that sweet spot. Do you think both guys, do you think their stock or, 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 or kind of rose or uh, fell or what, what do you think? Cause I thought Kevin still, I mean, again, he looked good, even though I didn't think that strategy was the best. I mean, he's still a great striker, and he's still as tough as they come, and I'd still love to watch him fight again tomorrow if he's, if he's able to. Well, and he's got a good jiu-jitsu game as well. I mean, he is a absolute Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I know there are levels to the black belt game, obviously, in jiu-jitsu. But, yeah, I mean, to Dean's point earlier, when I sat down with Kevin Holland in our fighter meeting, I said two years ago when you were getting ready to fight Jacare Souza and we sat down with you, you sounded like a guy who thought he could win belts in two divisions. And I'm not sure those championship aspirations still exist. And Jim, you kind of hit on this a little bit off the top of the show. So largely, I think Holland stock is where it was. I think we kind of know what he is. We just don't know exactly how long he's going to be around. I wouldn't be surprised him to see him take big breaks and then come back and fight in a concentrated amount of time. I think Wonder Boy's stock goes up a skosh. But again, when I look at the top 15, what are we trying to do here? I mean, Michelle Pareda would be the guy that I would match him up with. And um, I think there's a, a possibility for some pre-fight friendliness there too. But I also think there's the possibility that that fight is is very entertaining. But every single man above Michelle Pareda, who's number 14 in the world, seemingly um, he's either fought, right? I'd like to see a fresh matchup. He's either fought a guy uh, or it's a guy who's going to take him down, including Leon Edwards, who I think would try to take him down. Yeah, Colby, I'm sure would do that. Every last one of them guys are going to take him down, man, especially after seeing what he was capable of. I mean, when you just compare how he fights against a pure striker like he just did, and that's obviously his most recent performance, so we know he's still capable of doing that, compared to how he looked against, you know, Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns, we go, you know what? We need to get this guy on the ground. We can't really stand up with this dude. So I think that everybody moving forward is going to fight him bad. So while his stock may have rose, it's not going to get any easier for him. And and John, you're right. Kevin Holland, I think that, you know, I think we know what we got from him. And that I don't think that he has the focus to be a champ, right? He don't have that, that disciplined focus to be a champ. But he wants to be, and I think he wants to be a star. And I think he has the potential to be a star. So he's got to find fights that can make him a star. He's got to find ways that he could be a star. And when you talk about the, those guys being friendly, I, I'm always interested. I always thought Adesanya, uh, Paulo Costa had a really interesting meeting when they, they bumped into each other. And I wanted to know how much psychology you think is involved in these, because you're both going in there to fight. I mean, you're both fairly unintimidatable 
people because you know who you're there to fight. But when they bumped into each other in the hall, I don't know if you remember that, there was a weird moment where Adesanya seemed really comfortable. And it was like, it looked like Custer was a little surprised that Israel wasn't intimidated by him at all. And I don't know if that played out in the fight at all, or if Costa even noticed that, or if Adesanya relied on that. But does any of that psychology actually go into it? You know, if Tyson said everyone has a plan to get punched in the face, does any of that actually go into the way you perform in the octagon? I think so, especially for Costa, because I was at the Costa fight, and I remember how shook Costa looked when Izzy came at him, stood in front of him, and was like, yo, I'm not afraid of you. Because for Costa, right, like when you get guys that are kind of vain in a way, like Costa's kind of a vain type fighter. He looks good. He's big. He's strong. Part of the reason why they look like that is because they like to be the bigger guy. And because they feel like they're the bigger guy, they feel like they're going to intimidate the other guy. But when you get that other guy in front of you who's smaller and don't care that you're bigger, that has an effect on you. It's almost like, oh, like I've done I've done everything to try to scare this guy and he's not afraid. So when Izzy came at Costa in that fight and, and he wasn't afraid, I think that shook Paulo Costa. And that does. It has an effect on bigger guys when they can't intimidate the smaller fighter. Even on that level, huh? That's so interesting to me. Even on the level of fighting for the middleweight championship, there's still there's still that basic schoolyard thing of, you know, I'm I'm bigger than you and I think that you should be a little intimidated by me, even though I know you're a skilled fighter. Man, this this whole game is kind of predicated on that. And this is one thing that, you know, I was out with Ryan Hall a few weeks ago, and actually Kenny's gonna join us on our next one. We're trying to do like these kind of mini camps in which we all kind of collaborate and get together and, and come up with new ideas for MMA from a jujitsu perspective. And I think this whole game is predicated on that extra 10 pounds or this guy was 10 pounds bigger or this guy was 15 pounds bigger. And when you accept that, I think that's when your growth as a martial artist stops. And I think for a lot of people, it has stopped. So for us, I'm like, yo, we got to keep growing as opposed to just allowing that 10 extra 10 pounds be the big difference. Now, if you look at Izzy, Izzy versus Pajeda, everybody says, oh, he's so much bigger. But let's face it, if Izzy was better on the ground, that fight would have been over. Not because he was bigger, but if Izzy was better on the ground, a better finisher. Yeah, look what Rafael Dos Anjos did this weekend, right? He's 5'8", right? Just take the fight wherever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's a jujitsu training camp and a jujitsu fight for RDA. Give me my check, another finish, go home. Much bigger dude. And and he's calling for Connor. And unfortunately, that fight never happened because of Rafael's injury. Yeah, I was I used to six years ago now or whatever. But that fight, I don't I don't think he gets that fight because I think if Connor is gonna fight again, he's gonna he's gonna wanna do without saying it what 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 uh Thompson mentioned, which is fight somebody who's probably gonna stand up with him again. I, I whether it's a, another Poirier fight or a Gaethje or something, I, I don't think he comes in and fights um a guy like RDA. So my appetite for the Dos Anjos McGregor fight when it was to be was just through the roof. I wanted to see that matchup at that time so badly. I can't say that my appetite now, you know, seven years later is as insatiable as it was then to see that fight. And I agree with you, Jim. I don't think that RDA is going to get that fight. And uh, certainly if Connor had some appetite for that fight because of RDA's status, maybe there would be sort of a chance. But yeah, I think there are uh, other things that Connor will be focused on. I think RDA has got the right weight class, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, what do you think, Dean? I wish it would happen, man. Like when you look at RDA's strength of schedule, 
you look at the opponents he's fought, it's like, man, can you throw <laughs> this guy a bone? Right? Like, can can we throw him a bone? Just give him, just give him the fight that he wants. I mean, this guy has fought everybody on the planet, every good fighter, every top five guy. Give him the fight that he wants for one. You know what I'm saying? I wish that could happen, but I don't see it happening either. I don't think Connor comes back. I don't think Connor gets motivated for a fight like that. If Connor comes back and fights a lesser guy in terms of, well, everybody's going to be lesser in terms of popularity. But if he fights a guy who doesn't really move the needle, then they're going to have to be, they're going to have to suck. You know, they're going to have to be bad or at a bad point in their career where Connor could take advantage of him because I can't see him coming back, not fighting a title fight or fighting a good guy without, you know, these implications that, you know, this is the biggest fight in the world. Especially a guy he knows is going to put him on the ground. I mean, that's that's a hundred percent what RDA is going to want to do is put him on the ground. I mean, come on now, like Connor, like he called out Diego Sanchez. Like this is this is where his this is where his head is at. Like he's like, yo, let, let me fight Diego Sanchez. That's where his head is at. Like if he's not going to fight for the title, he's going to want to fight somebody like Diego Sanchez. Like a legend fight, yeah. UFC Unfiltered is brought to you by NEDS, the official wagering partner of the UFC in Australia. Aussie Fight fans, keep an eye out for this weekend's UFC pay-per-view event as NEDS offers a split decision return. This means if you place a head-to-head bet on any main card fight and your pick loses by split decision, NEDS will pay you out as a winner. Plus, you can pump up your odds with a UFC multi simply by combining your favorite markets across all fights on the card. The action doesn't stop with UFC. Neds has everything you need to take it to the Neds level, regardless of what you bet on. For those sports punters, Neds Same Game Multi is now available on more sports than ever before. And for the racing fanatics, Neds Blended is available on all three racing codes. Blended lets you pick multiple runners to win in the same race at special blended odds. It's never been easier for you to be paid out as a winner. Look, whatever you bet on. Take it to the Ned's level. UFC markets exclude South Australian residents. Split decision return eligible on first $250 stake. Minimum blended odds are $1.10 terms and conditions apply are available on the Ned's website. Remember to always gamble responsibly. Please call 1-800-858-858. What do you think? Uh, what's happening in the light heavyweight division? I mean, uh, what what is uh, Teixeira doing? And is Blahovich and uh, Ankalaev are they fighting for an interim belt, or is that just a, a main event fight? Yeah, so they are fighting not for an interim belt. The title has been vacated. So oh, okay, Boston vacated the title. It will no longer be vacant come Sunday morning this weekend. Those guys fight for the undisputed title. And yeah, I mean, there are a lot of interesting layers to this, right? Glover Teixeira was afforded the fight against Magomed Ankalaev, and you know, Magomed Ankalaev is the A-side in this equation this weekend, right? I know Jan Bohovich has the red corner. He's the higher-ranked guy. He's the former champion. Uh, but Magomed Ankalaev is the betting favorite. He is the guy who is ubiquitously regarded as the best light heavyweight in the world right now. And he was the guy around whom this fight card was built. Yeah. And so Teixeira wanted more time for him. And he was not going to be afforded that time. And uh, so obviously the UFC had this backup plan in place. And uh, Bohovic obviously is worthy. And uh, yeah, I think it's a fascinating fight. But Uncle Ives won nine in a row. And I think Dean will agree that, uh, you know, one way or another, once this belt was vacated, Uncle Ives was going to be a part of, of any equation moving forward. 
A hundred percent. And it's not like he doesn't deserve it or has earned his way into that spot. I mean, Uncle Iev, to me, he's probably the best light heavyweight on the planet. And um, but first I gotta give props to Jerry to vacate the belt, right? Like to oh, just yeah. get it, to just get it and then be like, yo, I'm gonna be out for a year, so I'm gonna give the belt up. Cause you know, these these champs are crazy. These champs are like, yo, why y'all gonna try to take my belt? Why y'all gonna have an inner belt? I mean, he gave the belt up. Yeah, I got to say that it's crazy how quickly he vacated. So you have to think that when he comes back, whenever that is, that not only will his next fight back back contractually, unequivocally be for the undisputed UFC light heavyweight title against whoever is the champion at that point in time, but he might get pay-per-view points as well. Like we know Yuri Prohaska to be a, a respectful martial artist. He wants this division to go on and that's why he stepped away. But you got to think he had major assurances because- you know, DC doesn't even, as he says, give up his spot in the buffet line. He never would have vacated this quickly. Well, ever. That, but either that, like either he had those, you know, those, you know, that assurance or there's still some good left in the world. I mean, we know it's the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. And if anybody's going to do it, it's probably a guy with the integrity of, of Yuri. Yeah. You know, like no, this right. guy has some integrity. So for him to give it up is crazy. And for Glover. I feel bad for Glover, but I think the UFC bent over as far as they could for him. And I know it sounded bad. And when Glover first came out, I thought it was a knee-jerk reaction because he was upset. And I get it for sure. But I think that the UFC did as much as they could for him. And they, that was about all they could do. Because I know they were like, listen, we gave you the title shot. We gave you the rematch. It just didn't work out. That's You know, you can fight him, but that's it. Like, that's all we can do. We can't give you any more. And it's, it's for him, I know it looks bad and it sounded bad and he made it kind of look, make the UFC look kind of bad at first, but I think they really tried to make it work for him and it just, business is business. Will he get the, uh, sorry, John, will he, will he get the, the, the winner of this fight or I guess it depends on, uh, does he get the automatic uh, winner automatically, do you think? I think there's a good chance that Glover Teixeira's last UFC fight, unless he comes back and wins this, who knows? But I do believe his next fight and presumably last fight in the UFC will be for the light heavyweight title. I wonder at this stage of his career, what exactly would an extra eight or 10 weeks have done in terms of the Ankalaya prep? But you did just hear me reference a jujitsu training camp, right? So who knows exactly what he would want his preparation to be? I think there's a stance thing there too. But, you know, for Glover to share, it's interesting. Like I, you're at the end of what you believe is going to be your final mixed martial arts training camp. And then this happens like to me, if I'm in shape and again, I'm no fighter Dean. Right. But at the end of his career, part of me feels like, Hey man, let me just fight uncle live. I'm in shape. This was potentially going to be my last training camp, last title fight. And let's just let the chips fall where they may, you know, but it seems like he feels good enough to maybe extend his career six or eight or 10 months to try to make sure he's prepared for whoever the guy is in a championship setting. Well, I got to tell you, I think it has a lot to do more with mentally sometimes, right? Because from a physical standpoint, like when you're preparing for Yuri, like you got to prepare for so much. You're preparing for everything because Yuri switches stances. He does this. He does that. He does the third. So you're preparing for everything. When you got a guy like Ankalaev, he's primarily a southpaw fighter who fights very traditional. He's very good at what he does. Very crafty, but very good at what he does. And so I I think, and like, and yeah, and he would. Glover would have fought Jan, right? He and because he already beat him and he's slower. So I think that I think that he didn't want to take this fight from because mentally he was like, Uncle Iev is a tougher guy. He's he's tougher from that stance. 
And right now, believe it or not, Russians are pretty hot. So huh. like when you yeah, not really like Russians are pretty hot right now. So like when you're thinking about fighting a Russian, you're like, I need time to prepare. Like I can't just go in there and just take on one on short notice. I need time to prepare. So I think a lot of that had to do with it because physically, I think physically he's ready for you for Uncle Iev. But like mentally, I think he needed that extra time to like, you know, sit down with his people and fight, you know, maybe get a few more southpaws and just feel a little bit more confident going into a fight like that. Is that a mistake though? Because John raised the, the point about like sometimes you just got to go for it and it's not being callous. I mean, he is coming out of a camp. And the, the case I look back on, I always think of uh, Josie Aldo wanting that McGregor rematch so badly. And I, they did offer it to him on short notice because I was it the RDA injury. I don't remember. There was a reason that Jose got offered a rematch and he turned it down. He goes, No, I need more time to prepare. And then it just never came back around. And that was a big fight. And I know guys want to be prepared, but. I mean, Jose is probably semi always in shape. I mean, I don't think Jose Aldo gets, you know, completely out of shape. And I always thought, like, God, he probably should have taken that fight um, because it never came back around. So does Glover risk that? Uh, like, sometimes you just got to take it when it's in front of you if you're in shape. I do love that Glover's competitive nature is such that he really wants to still win at this stage of his career. It's not a prize fighting nor money play, right, right. to get pay-per-view points or anything like that. Like, he wants to put himself in a best, the best position to deal with a guy as crafty uh, as Magomed and Ankalaya. But I agree with you, Jim. Like, MMA is a crazy world, and you can get – he Glover can get another title shot and still not get through the training camp healthily. There's so many things that can happen. He was healthy at the end of a training camp. So I'm surprised that he didn't take the fight. But uh, gosh, I have the utmost respect for that guy. As much respect yeah. for him as anybody on the roster. So Yeah, but again, I think it, it really comes down to confidence. And a lot of it is just you want to go through a training camp just to give you the confidence to know that you did everything you could. Even though physically, like, you might be the same guy. You might not, he might not get any better in camp. He might not be any better in camp um, in six weeks that he is now, but he'll know in his head and he'll fight better because of it. Because he knows that he trains specifically for Uncle yeah, is a totally mental, but if that's what it is, that's what it is. And uh, how about the co-main, uh, Pimblet against Jared Gordon? It's nice to see Pimblet, you know, because like things are not always the reason we're talking about, like, should these guys take the fight? Because you're right, you never know what's going to happen. Some guys have these like meteoric rises and other guys, no matter how well they fight, it takes a lot longer. Um, Pimlet's been great, but he's had this quick ride. And you look at a guy like Leon Edwards, who had so much bad luck and took so long to finally get the shot. So you just you never know who's going to get the shot ahead of you when it when the opportunity comes. Um, what do you think of Pimlet versus uh, Jared Gordon? I'm excited. I think the betting line is a little bit wider than I would expect it to be. You know, Jared Gordon can be had at plus 205 in some spots. And I think a lot of people understand acutely what Jared Gordon is going to try to do in this matchup, even though Patty Pimblett is a much better grappler and more willing grappler than people want to give him credit. I don't know if Patty Pimblett, in terms of the way he approaches his calendar year, can get on a lightweight championship trajectory right now. I mean, that is an absolute shark tank. It is our glamour division in 2022. And uh, But that being said, man, Patty Pimblett's a skilled guy. And to your point, Jim, like he did build a foundation, right? A good strength of schedule pre-UFC championship experience. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve the distinction as the favorite. Um, I've gotten to know him on a personal level and love the guy, uh, but I don't think Jared's getting enough respect, at least as far as the betting odds are concerned. 
Yeah, I get why the odds are the way they are. Um, but not for me, it's not a physical thing. Again, like I think this game is comes down to mental things and all these intangibles that you can't really put, you know, that you can't really see. And I think what this comes down to really is that under the lights, Patty Pimlet will show up more than Jared does. And I think that's really the key for me. Is it because Jared has the skill set to shut Patty down? Like he's you know, his defense is solid. He can come forward. He's probably, he could probably take Patty down, like not at will, but he'll get him down at some point. And he's good enough to not get submitted. And he's good enough to control Patty on the ground. But under the lights, in a big moment like this, with everybody watching, Patty's going to show up. I don't know if Jared will. Like, that's the only thing that scares me about him is that how does he respond to these moments? And it's going to be tough for him, especially if he gets hurt. You know, if Patty gets hurt, he's going to come back. He's been hurt in every fight and has been able to come back. If Jared gets hurt, he might fall apart. So I think that's the difference in this fight. Yeah, and we talked about Connor before. I remember the Connor Alvarez fight uh, at the Garden, which was – it felt like a like, like, a, like a, a home uh, home turf fight for Connor, even though it was 45 minutes or an hour from where Eddie grew up. And I remember watching Alvarez in that fight and thinking he's – because he's such a great fighter and he's so tough. And I remember just thinking he's, he looks like he's overwhelmed by this moment. Um, and again, he may say differently, but I remember thinking like he looked like the, 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 the giantness of this moment was getting to him a little bit. Um, and by the way, we've talked about Connor before. Is it does he guarantee does he come back and fight at 170? Is that a 100% guarantee, or is is there any uh, uh, 155 fight that would interest him? I, I I don't think, and I know a lot of people have already closed the book on Connor in terms of lightweight and the championship. I don't think within the next 24 months that you're going to see Connor McGregor compete south of 170 pounds but i wouldn't close the book on it forever because uh i still believe even though there's a way where diego sanchez call out here or there i still think conor mcgregor may play a longer game in mma than people suggest because this is what he loves this is truly what he loves um and i do believe patty Pimblet has a lot of athletic advantages too obviously i mean in this matchup like he is the plus athlete in this equation but i think that's interesting that dean you know sees him as this overwhelmingly great big game player that jared isn't because it's a good angle i hadn't thought of that yeah i I tell you what though man connor ain't coming back at 155 at all he done turned into the liver king and he is yeah. not coming back to 155. I would say there's a 5% chance that he comes back in lightweight. It's very, very minor. But I wouldn't I wouldn't say never, depending on who the champion is. Right, right, right. I'm just thinking of Patty Pimbler because we're talking about him and how dynamic he is, how he brings a lot to the table. Hey, UFC fans, are you looking for an edge to your workouts? I know I certainly am. Something that could help with warm-up and recovery times. Sweet Sweat is the official marketing partner of UFC and of UFC Performance Institute. Their topical gel got its start in boxing and UFC. There's a lot of fighters used it to help them cut weight prior to fights. Here's all the things Sweet Sweat can do. Targets slow to respond areas of the body, accelerates warm-up and recovery times, slows down lactic acid buildup, assists in creating a longer and more rewarding workout. I'm not even a fighter and all these things sound great. We get it. You're probably skeptical 
But just think about it. Sweet Sweat only works with an elevated heart rate, meaning you have to put in the work for the product to work. You can't just sit there and have it work. It's not a miracle product. They have a long list of professional athletes that use their product on a daily basis. And they're partnering with UFC Performance Institute to show you the science behind Sweet Sweat. What do you think of Rosenstrike and uh, Dawkins uh, as the as the the main fight of the uh, of the prelims? I think that's a great fight uh, too. Is, is Dawkins coming off a is he coming off a win or a loss? I don't have his record in front of me. I got everything in front of me. I mean, both guys have a point to prove to be sure. I mean, Jarzinho Rosenstrike has had some listless performances, and and sometimes what he says to us in the fighter meeting doesn't necessarily jive with what we see on fight night, at least in terms of the approach and some of the aggression. Yeah, I mean, Dawkins' back is up against it. He's trying to pick up his brother, obviously, who suffered a couple back-to-back devastating losses, lost a few days ago. But yeah, Dawkins stopped by Curtis Blades in Columbus, Ohio, back in March and Biggie boy uh, hasn't won a fight since he beat Augusto Sakai in 2021, if memory serves. So uh, it's a big spot for both guys to be sure it's an eliminator as far as their contendership is concerned, not in terms of their jobs, but if they're going to contend, if either one of these guys is going to be in major, major fights in the next two years, got to win Saturday. Yeah. I'm not really sure how much I like this fight for Chris Dawkins. Like he's got to get, find a way to get this fight to the ground where he'll have that's the biggest advantage he's going to have in this fight. But for whatever reason, like that whole Dawkins thing, man, like I, like the last we've seen of them, it's just been really bad on the receiving end, like them getting knocked out really bad a few times. And it just hasn't looked good for them. So I kind of feel bad for him that he has to fight a fight like this going up against it. His brother just lost, yeah. you know, and this, the string of bad luck that they've had together, it just, and now you're fighting a guy who has the ability to do that to you. It just it just doesn't sit well with me from a fan perspective. Say, oh man, I, can we get cut him a break? I, 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 my thoughts mirror yours in a lot of respects, my man. Taporia against uh, Mitchell as the uh, opening fight of the main card. We talked about Bryce a little bit. I mean, I think they're twenty-seven and one between them. I mean, this is a great fight. 15 to 1, 12 and 0. What, what do you think, John? Oh, I'm so excited for this fight. I hate being the guy who's like, I wish one of them didn't have to lose. But if you're really asking for my honest emotions, right, I see both of these guys as legitimate threats in this division, fascinated by the the manner in which Bryce Mitchell wins fights. I know he's the underdog this weekend, but I think stylistically he is as problematic for a lot of these contenders as anyone. So, yeah, I think Ilya obviously has a, a tremendous skill set as well-rounded, I think, as anyone in the division, plus athlete to be sure fast twitch muscle fibers and all that good things. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Thug Nasty is is every bit uh, nasty. And I'm excited to see him fight every time his name's on the card. Yeah. Yeah. So much. I agree with you on that, John. I, John I, and I hope I'm not stepping too much on your toes, but I'm trying to shut up. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to step on your toes. No, we got a good flow I, you, today, I think. We got, we got you, a good flow. I'm about to say, because you get that enough on Saturday night <laughs> where you got to, huh, you know. Huh, huh, huh. <laughs> but listen, in terms of this fight, I, I gotta go with Bryce Mitchell, man. Like I just, I, I believe in Bryce Mitchell and there's something about him that just seems different and special and just like an in a fighting instinct that he has almost kind of like Jamal Hill has the same yeah. thing where they're just very good about like knowing how to fight. Like they were just like born with something. It just, they knew how to fight, you know, and he knows how to fight for what he wants and he gets what he wants. Like his, 
Like no one has been able to take down uh, Edson Barbosa the way he did. Like Khabib struggled to get Edson Barbosa down and keep him down. And Bryce Mitchell was like, watch this. Boom. And just get, you know what I'm saying? So like, he's got something special about him that I don't think Ilya is going to be able to take advantage of. I could be wrong, but. And why, and why do you think, uh, why do you think John gets his toes stepped on? <laughs> Listen, John does a great job on the broadcast. Certainly He's does. the best play-by-play guy in the business. We all know that. Yeah. You know, I just, I love when, when John is able to do his job properly. It's it's crazy to listen to when guys who are also knowledgeable about because I love to watch fight, but the, the the way you you know when to talk, you know when not to talk, like the instincts of of live play by play. There's a fine line between um, I because I want to hear what guys are saying, I want to hear strategies, and yet sometimes you want the action, and you t- you have a great balance of that. That's that's I don't know if you learn that or if it's just a great instinct that you have. Well, thank you. No, I appreciate you guys sincerely. And it's a constant evolution as far as that's concerned. The last thing I want to hear from Dana White or anyone else is that I have talked too much. So certainly at times, maybe you'll see me lean more into silence than the average guy and allow for that sort of ambient noise to bleed in. But certainly our producers, Zach Candido and Michael LaPlante and Mike Ricci love when we shut up for 25 seconds at, you know, when all three of us shut up for 25 seconds, right. And allow all that in, you can be sure our producers like when we do that because we aren't doing radio, but with three guys, right. It is a little bit of a balancing act. And I also, I want to be there when guys maybe, are hitting a little bit of a tired spell over an eight-hour broadcast, right? So I'm okay sitting back if need be. I'm okay carrying the broadcast at times if need be. The last thing I want to do is talk too much. Have you ever been disappointed, like in, in a like? Have you ever like called a fight and went, "Oh God, I stunk"? Like I've had so many shows like that where I'm like, "I was fucking <laughs> awful." Like, do you have that as an announcer? Where you're like, "Oh, what am I thinking?" Well, certainly there are moments like that and fights like that. Thankfully, there haven't been too many times in terms of the totality of a show where I think, man, that was just a dreadful broadcast, you know, because (laughs) I I think it's in some part because I take it so seriously that, uh, you know, even if I have a bad fight or I'm flubbing or, you know, maybe I don't get a lot of sleep. Right. And the first prelim of the night, I'm flubbing every other word and I feel myself start to sweat and. It's like, dude, just just relax, right? You got 12 fights to go. That's the only good thing about having 13 or 14 fights. You can get off to a treacherous start. You still can make up for it. This episode is brought to you by Game Day Ready, Kono CB2, the official pain reliever of the UFC. Kono CB2 is the only 100% drug-free canoladine-based pain relief product in the world. Game Day Ready specifically designed Kono CB2 for elite athletes around the globe. It's now available to you to try its pain-relieving properties. Game Day Ready is so confident in Kono CB2, they are offering it for free. Go to tryCB2.com to get your free Kono CB2 now. Everyone has a game today from professional athletes to weekday warriors to those who have daily aches and pains that never seem to go away, which is me. I'm not an athlete. I know you look at me and you think, Jesus, Jim, that couldn't be natural. But really, I'm not an athlete. Kono CB2, I should probably use it myself because it has you covered. So if it has you covered, it has me covered. Go to tryCB2.com to get your absolutely risk-free bottle or jar of Kono CB2 today. 
Well, look, uh, I we appreciate. Uh, I mean, I appreciate both of you guys coming uh, coming on. Two eighty two is uh, this Saturday in Vegas. The prelims, early prelims, are six o'clock New York time. Uh, 8 p.m. is the prelims, and of course the main card. Kick it off with Bryce Mitchell and uh, Ilya Tapuria at uh, 10 o'clock. What a great fight! Um, Blahovich against uh, Ankalaev for the light heavyweight championship. And uh, you guys are both just great. I'm I'm just so happy that I get to hear you guys on all these broadcasts. Dean, you'll be there, right? Yeah, I'm going. I'm working this weekend and the weekend after after like a month of being off. So I'm actually looking forward to going back to work. What are you promoting, Dean? Anything in particular? Uh. Nothing. <laughs> Listen, watch this show, and why? And, and if you haven't went back and watched uh, Florian and Anik the podcast, Anik and Florian podcast, the one I was on, went back and watched the fight where Katie was beating my head in. Go back and watch that episode. That's a good episode. To so watch. what he's talking about, real quick, is Anik and Florian rewind. It's a UFC Fight Pass exclusive. We look back at a fight in UFC history, and we had Dean and Kenny Florian who fought each other 15 years ago in the same room. It was therapeutic, I think, for both of them, an exclusive on UFC Fight Pass. I'll leave you with this, Jimmy. Last weekend, we had all these veterans, right, who making like their 34th UFC appearance, Clay Guida and Darren Elkins and Michael Johnson, right? We got six fighters making their UFC debuts this weekend on a pay-per-view card. So I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I got six blank slates as I sit here with you guys Monday. I'm playing catch up a little bit. But among those UFC debuts, obviously, is Raul Rosas Jr., who was born in 2004 and is the youngest fighter on the UFC roster. So, um, oh, my God, it's it's interesting, sort of a tale of two cards for me dealing with all the veterans last week and uh, and now six men and women that I really got to dive in on this week. So we're excited closing out the year, my last show of the year, and then um, and then going to enjoy some recreation. Uh, thank you both of you guys. I look forward to listening to you. Honestly, I really mean that. You guys are both so great. And uh, thanks for coming on today. All right, gentlemen. You guys. All right. Take care, John. Take care, Dean. Matt, see you in a few days. See you, guys. Peace. Goodbye. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.